Welcome to 122675. That day is important because it was the last day of Donna Jo Richmond's life and the last day of Oscar Clifton's freedom. Donna's day was spent with friends in Exeter, California, a small town of mainly orange groves. And Oscar's day was busy remodeling a house in Visalia, a small city about 11 miles west of Exeter. Donna was a 14-year-old freshman at Exeter High School. She loved animals and music and was active in 4-H. She played the flute, piccolo, and tenor saxophone in band. Donna's mother was a PE teacher in Visalia, and her dad worked as a county land assessor. She had a recently married older sister and an older brother who was a high school junior. Her parents and her grandparents who lived next door were also citrus farmers and lived on ranches among their orange trees. Oscar was 35 and had been married for 18 years at the time of his arrest. He and his wife had both come from Oklahoma with their families as part of the Dust Bowl migration to California's Central Valley Farms. Oscar served in the Army and then operated his own trucking company. His trucking career was ended by an accident with a drunk driver. He suffered a severe knee injury that left him with a pronounced limp and a custom-designed knee brace. In 1975, Oscar was working as a carpenter and painter. He had regular work from several real estate agents in the area, fixing up houses to flip and maintaining their rentals. He and his wife had two teenage daughters and a young son. His life wasn't flashy, but it was going well. You can follow along on all of the events of the day on our interactive map in Chapter 1 on the 122675 website. We are relying as much as possible on the primary police reports, witness interviews, and trial transcripts to tell this story. We'll jump in to provide context and offer explanations when we think it's helpful. This is TCSO Report McKinney, December 28, 1927-75, 0800 hours. Reporting officer contacted Carol Britton, 14 years. Advised reporting officer that on 1226-75, between 1100 and 1130 hours, Donna Richmond came to her residence on her bicycle. Donna Richmond asked Carol to go over to her house with her arrived back at Donna's residence a little after 1200 hours. Carol advised that Donna's father was at residence. Carol advised that between 1300 and 1330 hours, she and Donna went on bicycles to a residence on Belmont Street in Exeter to feed some animals that Donna was watching for someone. This is from the Visalia Times Delta, December 29th, 1975. Martha Britton, mother of Carol Britton, said Donna came over to the family's residence to have lunch with her daughter, a longtime friend. After finishing their turkey sandwiches, the girls rode their bikes over to Donna's home. They talked about Christmas mostly while they were here. I haven't asked Carol anything more. She's very upset, Mrs. Britton said. On the way to Donna's home, the two girls took a different route than usual, one which paralleled the railroad tracks. Donna said there were stickers down there, Mrs. Britton said. The route led them through the orange grove, where Donna's bike would later be found. Mrs. Britton said Donna had to feed some animals for friends on South Belmont Avenue who were gone for the weekend. Carol went with her, and afterwards they stopped at the 1995 South Belmont Avenue home of Heidi Weissenberger to visit. This is District Attorney Powell questioning Don Richmond at trial, June 25, 1976. All right. And about what time of day was it when you last saw your daughter at home? 
approximately 1.15, 1.30 in the afternoon. All right. And did your daughter stay at home or did she leave? She left. Did you give her instructions as to when she should return? Yes, I did. And what did she say? I told her to be home by 3 o'clock. All right. And was there some response to that? Yes. She walked out uh, from the family room into the garage. And then you could kind of hear some whispering a little outside as she stuck her head back in and said, three o'clock's awful early. And I said, okay, Donna, four o'clock, but not any later than four. And I emphatically said four. And so they left in jubilation because they were granted an extra hour. All right. So the final order then was 4 p.m., not later than 4 p.m. Right. Now, Mr. Richmond, did you then remain home the rest of the day? No. All right. What is your employment? I'm a property appraiser for the, the assessor's office, an assistant assessor. All right. So then did you go on about your business? Yes, sir. Donna's movements are well documented during this time. She left her house around 1.30 and rode with Carol directly to the fieldings on South Belmont to feed their animals. The girls likely rode down List across Highway 65, then down Glaze to Belmont. It's a distance of 2.12 miles. It's unknown if they were seen by or talked to anyone along the way. We also don't know if anyone was working at the fieldings that day. There are no indications that the fieldings were ever interviewed by law enforcement or the defense team, and Carol was not called at the grand jury or at trial. TCSO stands for Tulare County Sheriff's Office. Even though the city of Exeter has its own police force, all of the important locations skirt around town, so the case fell fully into county jurisdiction. Jay Powell was the county district attorney, and he tried the case himself rather than assigning it to a deputy. Powell had a lot at stake with this case. He had only narrowly won election, and it was an extremely high-profile and shocking case. By trying it himself, winning or losing, the conviction would be his personal success or failure. Ray Donahue was well-known in the county as a private criminal defense attorney, and the Clifton family overextended themselves to pay for Oscar's defense. Petty John was a licensed private investigator who did contract work for Donahue. He was former FBI and well qualified to conduct investigations and interviews. We're going to join Oscar's day around noon at his brother-in-law's house on Avenue 264, about 8.41 miles away from Donna and Carol. Oscar had spent the morning working in Visalia on a remodeling job for local realtor Bill Rose. He stopped home for lunch spent some time with Avery Dula, then returned to the Garden Street remodel in Visalia. This is Petty John's interview with Avery Dula, January 2nd, 1976. Coming to the day after Christmas, which was Friday, December 26th, what time did you see him that day? I'm not positive, but I believe it was around noon. Where did you see him? He was at my ranch. At your home? Yes, and home. Was there a particular reason for his coming over there? Not that I know of. Did he help you do anything at what you were working at? Yes, I was trying to install a battery in my boat, and the cables were listed wrong on the directions, and so we had to go into the system to see which was positive and which was negative. So when we did hook up the battery, it wouldn't hurt the electrical system. How long was he there, Mr. Dula? I would say approximately 30 to 45 minutes. This is Danny Bolin's statement to Petty John, December 30th, 1975, Visalia, California. 
I, Danny Boland, make the following voluntary statement to Robert J. Pettyjohn, who has identified himself to be a licensed private investigator. I reside at 556 Southeast Street, Exeter, California. I'm in the concrete business. On Friday, December 26, 75, I was working at a new construction on South Garden Street, Visalia, just around the corner from where Oscar Clifton was working on South Garden Court Street on a house structure. Between 1 p.m. and 1.30 p.m. this date, and I believe closer to 1.15 p.m., Oscar Clifton came by where I was working to talk about pouring some concrete curbing at the structure where he was working on South Garden Court Street. I would say that we talked just for a few minutes and he left about 1.15 p.m. Also working with me and present at the time Clifton was there talking to me was Dennis Barker. I declare the above to be true and correct to the best of my knowledge and recollection. Dan Boland. This is Boland's statement to Petty John, March 24, 1976. On this date, Danny Boland, 556 South E Street, Exeter, California, was recontacted where he was working on new construction at Mary Street and South Giddings, Visalia. The writer went over the statement which he had furnished the writer on 12-30-75 and confirmed that Clifton contacted him where working on South Garden Street, Visalia, about 1.15 p.m., 12-26-75. He said they talked 5-10 to 10 minutes about his, Boland, pouring some concrete foundation at the house structure where Clifton was then working just a couple of blocks from where Boland was working. He said Clifton had previously contacted him that morning around 11 a.m., at which time Clifton gave him his business card. Boland stated that shortly after Clifton had contacted him, about 1.15 p.m., 12.26.75, he quit work, about 1.45 p.m., and that he and Dennis Barker, who worked with him and lives in Farmersville, went over to a tire shop on the north side of town, then stopped for a beer, then to Farmersville where he dropped Barker off at his home, and then onto his home in Exeter where he was home by about 3 p.m. He then cleaned up and went to town. This is D.A. Powell questioning realtor Bill Rose at trial, June 28, 1976. All right. Mr. Rose, do you recall the date, December 26, 1975? Yes. Do you recall seeing the defendant, Mr. Clifton, on that day? Yes. When and where did you see Mr. Clifton that day? I saw him in my office on the morning of the 26th, about 11 a.m. And how long did he stay there? Oh, approximately 10 minutes. And were you to have any further dealings with him that day? No. Specifically, did I see him? No. All right. Well, did you discuss anything with him about meeting him? Yes. We set up a tentative appointment to meet at a property where he was doing some, going to do some repair work at 2 o'clock. All right. And did you go to that property at 2 o'clock? We went to the property. We were late. I had one of the other property owners with me. Who do you mean by we? You and the other property owner? Yes. All right. And we arrived at the property in the neighborhood of 2.30. All right. And was Mr. Clifton there? No. Did you wait for Mr. Clifton? No. We were at the property for about half an hour. But our meeting to meet there was a very informal thing, and I really didn't need him, so I had indicated to him that he could be there or not be. He said he would be there, but he wasn't. All right. And after staying there for about 30 minutes, did you and the other gentleman leave? Yes. This is Petty John's interview of Gene Owens, December 30th, 1975. 
I, Gene Owens, make the following voluntary statement to Robert J. Pettyjohn, who has identified himself to me to be a private investigator. I reside at 36271 Road 112, Visalia. I have known Oscar Clifton for about six months as he did some work on my house at one time, and his wife's niece, Mrs. Debbie Roberts, lives down the road from me, about 600 feet west of my house. It's about 300 feet from my house to the road one takes to travel to get to Mrs. Roberts' place. Mrs. Roberts is my daughter-in-law. On the afternoon of Friday, December 26, 1975, I was visiting the Bob Honley residence on Ben Maddox Way, Vesalia, which is about 10 miles from my place. I left there about 2 p.m. that date, coming home, and arrived home about 2.15 p.m. I went into the house, checked the mail, and had a glass of milk, changed coats, and then went out to the side of my house to work on my tractor. I had been out there working on my tractor about 20 to 30 minutes when I saw a white Ford pickup truck go by up to Mrs. Roberts' place. I recognized it as the same type and color as Clifton's pickup. The driver of the pickup stopped at the Roberts' place, but they weren't home, and probably because of the dogs did not get out of the truck. Approximately three to five minutes, the truck left the driveway back by my house. Due to the distance between my house and the road, 300 feet, I could not state positively that the driver of the truck was Clifton or that it was his truck, although it was the same color, make, model, and it appeared to be approximately the right year for Clifton. I would judge that when the truck came by my house leaving the Roberts, it was very close to 3 p.m., a few minutes one way or the other. Mrs. Roberts came home about 30 minutes after the truck had left from her place. She told me later that she got home, she immediately turned on the TV set, and that the program which she wanted to watch that comes on at 3.30 was already in progress. When the truck went by my house the first time, I was working on my red tractor beside the house. I have another tractor which is yellow. After the truck went by, I left my work and walked around the car in my driveway for a view of the Roberts place and watched the truck until it returned. I then returned to my work on the tractor. At about 12.30 p.m. the next day, Clifton telephoned me and wanted to know if I could recall just what time he had gone by my house going to the Roberts place. He then told me exactly what I was doing at that time, working on the red tractor and about me walking around the driveway and observing him. No one else could have known the above about my actions. For this reason, I am sure in my own mind that it was Clifton in the white Ford pickup truck. I have read the above statement consisting of three pages, initialed each correction, and pages one and two. I declare under penalty of perjury that the above statement is true and correct to the best of my knowledge and recollection. Gene Owens. There are no known witnesses to Oscar's movements between Boland around 1.30 and 2.45 when Gene Owens first observed him. After he spoke with Boland, Oscar returned to his job site and worked while he waited for Bill Rose to arrive as expected at 2 p.m. The best estimate is that Oscar left Garden Street around 2.15 to look at a power issue for the dryer of his wife's niece. This is something the niece had asked him about the day before at Christmas dinner. Oscar reported that he stopped and checked his P.O. box and priced some items at Builder's Emporium, but didn't make a purchase. He drove by Bill Rose's office, but saw Rose's car was not in the parking spot, so he didn't go in. Oscar then continued up to the niece's home north of Vesalia, just down the road from Owens. 
It's about 11.3 miles and a 20 minute drive. So that matches up with leaving Garden Street at 2.15, 2.20, making two quick stops and arriving at Owen's place at 2.45 to 2.50. When he left Owen's just before three, he was 20 miles from Donna, a drive of about 30 minutes. This is TCSO Report McKinney, December 28, 1975. Continuation of interview with Carol Britton. From location of animals, they rode to Heidi Weissenberger's residence, arriving around 1400 hours. Did not know Heidi's address. From Heidi's residence, she and Donna rode to Judy Stewart's residence at 1896 West Chestnut Street, Exeter. Arriving a few minutes before 1500 hours, Carol then advised that she, Judy, and Donna rode to Don Lee's residence, leaving Judy's house at approximately 1,500 hours, arriving at Don Lee's residence at approximately 1,500 to 1,530 hours. Carol advised that she and Judy, after talking a few minutes, no more than 10, left en route back to Judy's residence. No further contact with Donna. This is TCSO Report McKinney, December 28, 1975. 122775 0830 hours. Reporting officer contacted Judy Stewart, 14 years of age. Judy Stewart advised reporting officer that herself, Carol Britton, and Donna Richmond left her residence at above address at approximately 1500 hours, riding to Don Lee's residence on bicycles, arrived at approximately 1530 hours. Judy advised that she and Carol, after a very short time, less than 10 minutes, left Donna at Don Lee's and rode back to her residence. Judy advised that Donna stated that she would have to hurry as she was going to be late getting back to her residence. That was last contact with Donna. This is from Celia Times Delta, December 29, 1975. Donna and Carol then rode over to Judy Stewart's home at 1896 West Chestnut to ask Judy to join them. Gloria Stewart, Judy's mother, said that they arrived around 2.45 p.m. Judy was out riding her horse, and the girls went to find her. They all came back, and Judy said she wanted to go bike riding with them. Mrs. Stewart said Judy was having trouble with a bike she was planning to ride, and after a while, they decided to ride another one. They rode over to Don Lee's on Anderson Road, Mrs. Stewart said. The four of them sat around for a while and talked about the things they got for Christmas. They talked about the pet rock Donna had given him, for Christmas, Judy gave Donna a necklace she'd made, and Carol gave her a bracelet that she had also made, Mrs. Stewart said. Mrs. Stewart said Carol and Judy wanted to leave, but Donna didn't. The two girls started away slowly, riding down the road and waiting for Donna for a while. Then they went home. This was sometime between 3 and 3.30 p.m. They never saw her again. Carol and Judy rode on their bikes to Judy's house, where Carol visited until returning home around 4.45 p.m. Mrs. Britton said Donna's mother had called earlier to ask where the girls were, and at that time, Mrs. Britton said she didn't know that they had split up. This is TCSO Report McKinney, December 28, 1975. 1227.75, 07.30 Reporting officer contacted Donald Allen Lee, 15 years of age at 2114 North Anderson Street, rural Exeter area. Don Lee advised reporting officer that on 122675, around 1530 hours, 
Donagel Richmond arrived at his residence with two female friends, Cal Britton, 14 years of age, Exeter, and Judy Stewart, 14 years of age, Exeter. Don Lee advised reporting officer that Donna and friends arrived after 1,500 hours on bicycles, also that after a very short time, Judy and Carol left for their homes, leaving Donna Richmond talking to him. Don Lee advised that Donna talked for a few minutes, then left his residence on her bicycle for her residence at approximately 1545 hours, advising him that she would have to hurry or she would be late. Don Lee advised that this was his last contact with Donna. This is D.A. Powell questioning Don Lee at trial, June 25th, 1976. Would you state your name, please? Donald Allen Lee. And how old are you, Mr. Lee? 17. And where do you reside? 2114 North Anderson Road. In what town? Exeter. And did you know Donna Jo Richmond? Yes. Let me show you people's number five in evidence. Who is that a photograph of? Donna Richmond. All right. When was the last time you saw her alive? What day? December 26th. Of what year? Last December? Last December. All right. And where was this location when you last saw her alive? In my front yard. Were you already at your house when she arrived there? No, I wasn't. All right. Was she at your house when you arrived there? Yes. About what time did you arrive at home? About 10 after 3, around there. All right. Who else was there besides Donna Jo Richmond? Carol Britton and Judy Stewart. All right. And were all the three girls together? Yes. And are those two other persons, Carol Britton and Judy Stewart, also teenagers? Yes. And how were they all traveling? On bicycles. All right. And how long did those three girls remain there? All three of them. Well, did some leave at different times? Carol and Judy, they left a little bit earlier before Donna. All right. And about what time did Donna leave? Around 3.45. Would that be in the afternoon? Yes. Okay. And did Donna say anything about why she had to leave? She said she had to get home. She was going to be late. All right. Did she tell you what time she had to be home? Four o'clock. Okay. And when she left, did she leave on her bicycle? Yes. All right. Did you have a watch on that day? No, I didn't. Is this estimate? Is this time that you gave us an estimate? Yes. Is that your best recollection? Yes. All right. I have no further questions. Mr. Donahue questioning. You say you arrived home at about 310 that afternoon? Yes. And how did you arrive home? In a car. Your car? Yes. And how old are you, sir? 17. Don, about how far is it from your home to Donna Richmond's home? I'm not really sure. Well, you've traveled back and forth there a few times in the past, haven't you? Yes. Have you ever ridden a bicycle from your home to her home? No. So you have no idea how far it might be? I can make a guess. I I don't know if it would be accurate. Well, let me put it another way. Could she have ridden her bicycle from your home and been at her home in 15 minutes? I'm not sure. I I wouldn't say anything if, if she could. All right. Is there anything, any particular way you have of estimating that you were back at your home at 10 minutes after 3? No. Well, is that just a guess, or is this, do you have something you can base it on? It was pretty close to a guess that I was home at 10 after 3. And the three of you talked there for a while? The four of us, yes. Four of you, rather. Did you go in your house? No. Was Donna Richmond, did she appear to be in a hurry to get home? 
When she left, yes. Did you and she discuss the time, the approximate time? No. Could it have been earlier than 345 when she left? I don't think so. Well, then are you saying it was approximately 345? Is that correct? Yes. Did Donna tell you how she was going home? No, sir. Now, do you know how she ordinarily did go home from your place when she was riding her bicycle? Well, she'd only been out there twice, and she never discussed it with me how she went home. Were you and Donna kind of going together? Yeah. How long had you known her? Three months. And this was only the second time she had come to your home? Yes. On other occasions, would you visit her at her home? I never really visited her. I take her home. Can you tell me what type of shoes you were wearing on December the 26th in the afternoon? I think I was wearing tennis shoes. Would you describe the tennis shoes for me the best you can? Tell me the make, perhaps? They were Trek. The name of the shoes were Trek, and they were a light brown. Do you recall what type of shoes Donna was wearing that afternoon? No. What type of car were you driving on December the 26th, the one that you came home in? Pinto. Ford Pinto? Ford Pinto. And the year of the Pinto, sir? I don't know. To whom does the car belong? My cousin. And his name? James Scruggins. What is the color of the Pinto? Yellow. Now, Donna arrived with two girls, Carol Britton and Judy Stewart? Yes. And was there some reason that she remained behind while the other two girls left? She just wanted to talk with me a little bit longer. What did she want to talk to you about? Band. We talked a little bit about band, what she got for Christmas the day before, what I got for Christmas. Did you offer to take her home since she had to be home at 4 p.m.? Yes. And what did you plan on doing, putting the bike in the Pinto and taking her home? Yes. Is there any reason, what was the reason, if any, that you didn't take her home? She said that there was no need. She could make it in home in time. Was it still, it was still daylight at this time, wasn't it? Yes. When she left your home, what direction was she traveling? I would say south. I'm not really sure. She went down the road south of my house. Okay, do you know whether she... There's an intersection not too far south from your home, isn't there? Yes. What was the name of the road that intersects... You live on which street? Anderson. Okay, what's the name of the road that intersects with Anderson south of your home running east and west? Marinette. Pardon me? Marinette. Okay, now... If you Do you know whether Donna turned her bicycle and started east on that road? No, sir, I don't. You didn't watch her? No. Did you go back in the house? Yes, sir. Had she the two of you been in the house? No. Just stood outside all the time she was there? Yes, sir. From 10 minutes after 3 to 3.45? Yes, sir. She took that first road. That would leave her towards home. Is that right? Marinette? Yes. In the vicinity of her house, yes. It would be what, about a mile, two miles north? Yes, I think so. And it also leads right over the Frank Kern Canal, doesn't it? I'm not sure. I think it does. I've never been down that far. Would you describe for me as best as you can recall how Donna Jo Richmond was dressed when you last saw her? I think she was wearing a blue jacket and light top, uh, blouse, uh, dark colored pants, and I think the shoes were brown. Do you recall, Dawn, whether she had, was she wearing any kind of headpiece, scarf, or ski cap of any kind? No, I don't. When were you supposed to see Donna Joe Richmond again? Or were you? I was. Sometime the next week. Not really, you know. Sure. Well, since you can't tell me, evidently you can't tell me how far it is in miles from your home to the Richmond home, can you tell me, have you driven from your home to Donna Joe's home? Have you not in the past? 
I haven't driven, see, I don't have my license. I just have my permit. My father was with me that day. I've been with cars with friends when we all go over and take her home when we were in groups. Did your father bring you home that day? He was in the car with me. I was driving. But your father was home then. Did your father remain at home when the girls came over? Yes, my father was at home. And was he in the house or outside, or where was he? He was in the house. Did he see these three girls? Powell. Objection, speculative. Donahue. If he knows. Powell. Well, how would he know? The court. Sustained. Powell. What his father knows. Donahue. Did your father come outside the house while the three girls were there? I don't think so. Did he ever come outside the house when only Donna was there with you? No. Well, now, have you gone with someone from your home to Donna Joe's home in an automobile? Yes. And have you driven the automobile? No. All right. Can you tell me approximately how long it took you to get from your house to her home? About 15 minutes. And that's by automobile? Yes. But I made... We made some other stops, too, so I can't really be sure. You mean you've never at any time just driven, gone from your home over to her home? No. So I assume then, Mr. Lee, that after Donna left, you went in the house with your dad. Is that correct? Yes. And when was the next time that you left your house that day, if you did leave? I think it was around 6 o'clock. Approximately, Mr. Lee, approximately how long was it from the time Carol and Judy left before Donna Joe left? Around 10, 15 minutes. I have no other questions. Thank you. We have a little bit more wiggle room in the times in this section of Donna's day. The time they left Heidi's is not certain. Heidi never gave a formal statement, so we're guessing it was around 2.15. The ride to Judy Stewart's was about two miles, and it's unlikely they were breaking any speed records in platform sandals and dress pants. The best estimate is that the girls arrived at the Stewart house around 2.45. Obviously, some time passed there dealing with the horse and the bike switch. It's another two miles from the Stewarts to Don Lee's, so his estimate that they were already there at 310 is unrealistic. It's probably 320 to 330 by the time the girls arrived. The reason that Don Lee was so adamant about Donna leaving no later than 345 in his trial testimony will become clear later in the story, but it certainly wasn't any earlier than that, and it could have been closer to 4 p.m., the time she was due home. At this point, Donna had to ride 4.2 miles in 15 minutes or less to be home on time. There are no witnesses to any portion of the ride once she left Don Lee's site. We don't know if she turned east on Marinette or continued south on Anderson. She just disappeared. This is Petty John's report, prepared January 8th, 1976. On 1776, the writer telephonically contacted Mr. Bill Irwin at the home of Mr. Marion Hooper. Mr. Irwin was the person who picked up the freezer chest at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Frank Thomas in Visalia the afternoon of 1226-75. Mr. Irwin was assisted in loading this freezer by Mr. Marion Hooper, and Mr. George Taylor, both of whom were present at the home of Mr. Hooper at the time of the telephone interview. Mr. Irwin stated that he was supposed to be at the Thomas residence to pick up the freezer between 1 and 2 p.m., but that he was quite late in getting there and thought the time he arrived there to be about 3 o'clock. He could not recall having seen a white pickup truck at the house across the street. 
He was followed to this residence from Tulare by Mr. Hooper and Mr. Taylor in a separate truck. Mr. Irwin stated that his wife was admitted that day to the hospital in Tulare, and that he took her to the hospital, and that he left immediately upon her admission to the hospital, coming to Visalia. He stated he came directly from the hospital in Tulare to the residence on James Street, which is the last house on James Street on the north side of the street. He stated that they were at the Thomas residence for about 30 minutes in loading the freezer and a couple of bicycles. He stated upon his arrival at the Thomas residence, Mr. Thomas was standing in his yard on the edge of the street and made some statement to him, which he could not recall, about his being late, and he replied to Mr. Thomas that he might be a little late, but he was slow but sure. Mr. Irwin telephonically contacted the writer shortly afterwards, advising that he and his wife had checked with the hospital in Tulare and determined that she was admitted to the hospital at 1.55 p.m. on 12.26.75. Mr. Hooper and Mr. Taylor were both interviewed telephonically at the same time, as was Mr. Irwin, but neither could place any definite time except between 2 and 3 o'clock on 12.26.75 that they had arrived at the Thomas residence in Visalia. Stating they were paying no particular attention to the time and neither of them recalled while loading the freezer at the Thomas residence of having seen a white pickup truck across the street. This is Petty John Report, prepared January 23, 1976. Recalled in report of writer that Mr. Bill Irwin of Tulare, who picked up a deep freezer from the Frank Thomases on 1226.75, advised that on his way to the Thomas, he picked up a deep freeze from a family living in the last house on James Street, Visalia, which freezer was in his truck upon arriving at the Thomases. Determined the occupants at 1501 James Street who sold Irwin the freezer, which he picked up on 1226.75, were named Mr. and Mrs. Mike Kelly who now reside at 937 Dove Street, Visalia. Mr. Kelly was not at home on 1226.75 when Irwin picked up the freezer. Mrs. Kelly was home and verified Irwin's picking up the freezer they had sold him sometime previously, but is in process of moving, did not want to go out, and could not set time closer as to when he was there other than early afternoon. This is Donahue questioning Bill Irwin's wife at trial, July 8, 1976. Mrs. Irwin, you left the hospital around 3.10, is that correct? No, I waited for my husband to come after me. What time was that when he came? Well, it was about a quarter after four. But see, I didn't get to see him because they told him I was gone. He picked you up about 4.15? I was at the hospital at 4.15, but I had to walk home because they told him I was gone already. And what time did you leave the hospital then, ma'am? About 4.30. And you never saw your husband when he arrived there at 4.15? No. This is Declaration of William Rose in support of Petition for Writ of Habeas Corpus, March 31, 1989. I was the owner of the house at 1734 Garden Street in Visalia, California in 1975-1976 that Oscar Clifton was working on on December 26, 1975. Oscar Clifton was the only person employed to work at the 1734 Garden Street house on December 26, 1975. At no time on December 26, 1975, or in the month of December 1975, did anyone else work on the 1734 Garden Street house other than Oscar Clifton. 
On December 26, 1975, I was supposed to meet Oscar Clifton at 1734 Garden Street at 2 p.m., but I was detained at my office and never arrived until around 2.30 p.m., where I remained at the Garden Street house until around 3 p.m. Between the hours of 2.30 p.m. and 3 p.m., there was no pickup backed up to the front door. Likewise, when I arrived, there was no pickup backed up to the front door. My hair was brown on December 26, 1975, and I wore it in an Afro style. I was driving a brown Oldsmobile 98 on December 26, 1975, when I went to the 1734 Garden Street house. To the best of my knowledge, while I was at the Garden Street house between 2.30 p.m. and 3 p.m., I never saw anyone moving a freezer from the house across the street. I declare under penalty of perjury that the foregoing is true and correct and was executed on this 31st day of March, 1989, at Visalia, California. William Rose. The timing of the arrival of the Freezer Guys at the Thomases is a pivotal moment in Oscar's alibi. And nailing this down should have been a priority for Petty John and Donahue. Instead, Petty John talked to the key players by phone, but never obtained sworn statements that could be used in court to impeach later inconsistencies. We know they left the hospital in Tulare at about 2 p.m. The two trucks then drove up to Visalia to the Kelly House, which was 7.3 miles. In weekday traffic, that would have been at least 20 minutes. The Kelly House was in an odd location, and it could have taken them longer to find it. Mrs. Kelly just didn't remember when they arrived or departed. However, it is clearly impossible that they got the Kelly freezer loaded and departed before 2.30. We know that Bill Rose did not see the freezer guys when he was at Garden Street between 2.30 and 3 o'clock. Irwin's statement confirms that they arrived at the Thomases after 3 p.m. and stayed about 30 minutes. It seems clear that the freezer guys left Garden Street between 3.45 and 4 p.m., which is consistent with Bill Irwin's arriving back at the hospital at 4.15, as his wife stated at trial. This is Petty John's interview with Frank Thomas, December 31st, 1975. I, Frank Thomas, make the following voluntary statement to Robert J. Petty John, who has identified himself to me as a licensed private investigator. I reside at 1728 South Garden Street, Visalia, which is just across the street from the house at 1734 South Garden Court, which is vacant and being repaired, and for the past month or so, there has been several different men and cars there on and off, but I've never paid any particular attention and do not recall a 1967 white Ford pickup truck being around here from the photograph. I do not recall ever having seen Oscar Clifton. I had sold an old large chest type deep freeze green in color and a couple of old bicycles to a Bill Irwin of Tulare and on Friday, December 26, 1975 in the afternoon, I was home waiting for Irwin to come and pick them up. My wife was home also. Irwin was supposed to be at my house between 1 p.m. and 2 p.m., but he did not show up until about 3.15 or 3.20 p.m. I recall looking at my watch when he arrived and recalled it was 15 or 20 minutes past the hour. And it had to be past the hour of 3 p.m. as he was quite late getting to my house. When he did arrive, I was standing in the street and I recall saying, well, you finally got here or it's about time you got here or words to that effect. There were two other men with Irwin and they were at our house about 30 minutes loading the freezer and bicycles, leaving about 3.45 p.m. 
We had some relations from out of town come to visit, and they arrived about 30 minutes after Irwin left, about 4.15 p.m. The relatives were here about 15 minutes, unloading their luggage, and my wife remarked upon looking at her watch that it was 4.30 and they had to get to the fabric store. I have read the above statement, consisting of two pages, and have initialed each correction and page one. I declare under penalty of perjury that this is true and correct to the best of my knowledge and recollection. Francis Thomas, Jr. This is TCSO Sergeant Byrd interviewing Frank Thomas, June 21st, 1976. Okay, Mr. Thomas, this interview goes back about six months ago to approximately December 26, 1975. Do you recall this date? Well, it was a Friday after Christmas, so I believe that would be, I don't know the date. Stop the recorder for a minute. I believe that this is a Friday after Christmas being December the 26th, 1975. Is that correct? That is right. Okay. Okay. Someone talked to you in regards to this particular date. Uh, do you recall who that was? That was Petty Johns. Petty Johns. He is an investigator. Did he identify himself? Yes, he identified himself. Investigator. Right. Okay, I believe the interview was in regards to, if you remember a particular incident on that day, is that correct? Right. Okay. Okay, then would you relate what this incident was? He'd asked me if I had walked out to them into my driveway, and I had made the statement as a, well, that's about time you got here, or he finally got here, or statement to that sort. And I told him that I had, and uh, uh, he was... Do you recall how it was you remembered making this particular statement? Yeah, yeah, I remembered. Then why was it that you made the statement? Well, he was about an hour and a half late getting there. Who are we referring to? That was a Bill Irwin. He was supposed to be there to buy my freezer. Oh, I see. And who were you talking to when you made this statement? Well, nobody in particular. I mean, my son and the kids were all out there, and I'd been working on their bikes and stuff. To them, I guess. Well, then did you notice any other people around anywhere? Not particularly, no. Did you notice anyone across the street? No, not really. There have been so many people in and out of there. Do you remember seeing a white pickup truck over there that day? No, no. Do you remember seeing, I believe you told me that he showed you the picture of Mr. Clifton. Do you remember seeing him that day? No, uh-uh. At the time you made the statement, do you recall seeing anybody around? No. Um, what time was it that you think that you made this statement? Somewhere in between 10 after 3 and 20 after 3. And what makes you think that it was about this time? Well, when I walked out there, I remember looking at my watch, and I remember one hand was on the three, and one, it was either just before or just after the three. And how do you, how do you specifically recall that this... Well, mainly, there were several things that brought it about. The fact that I remember glancing at my watch and saying, well, it's about time he got here, and he got here, and we loaded the freezer and a couple of bicycles in the back of the pickup, and a little while later, we talked a few minutes. Then my cousins drove up from out of town, and we talked for a few minutes, and we came into the house, and my wife had made the statement that or something, that my cousin said they were going to the fabric store getting some material, and my wife says, well, it's 4.30, we'd better hurry up and get going, so by the time he got here... 
we loaded the freezer, we gabbed a few minutes, and then they got here. We gabbed a bit longer, and we got in here, so he could have been 45 minutes, half an hour to that effect. So if he got here at, say, 310, 315, 320, by the time we got in the house here, it would have been 415, 430, all that taking place. Because I know my wife said, well, it's 430. If we don't hurry up and go, the stores will be closed at 5. This is D.A. Powell questioning Oscar Clifton at trial. July 6, 1976. But while you were there and installing this gas cap or whatever, you were listening to what people were saying across the street. Isn't that right? Not necessarily. This man just stated the words enough that I could hear. I see. And you did hear some words that he stated. Yes, I did. Now, isn't it true that those words are what someone who investigated this case for you told you? No, sir. I, I know they're not. This is nothing you're making up. This is nothing I'm making up. All right. In other words, you knew this before someone told you what they had found, someone who talked about that incident. Is that right? I gave them the very words to ask the people. I see. Okay. And isn't it true that you had contacted the people before? I had? Yes, sir. That I went back to the people? No, sir. I've never talked to them. Isn't it true you had someone do it for you, sir? Mr. Pettyjohn. No, I mean before that. No, sir. All right. Nobody saw you there, did they? I, I don't know whether they saw me or not. Don't you know? Haven't you been told these people didn't see you? Mr. Donahue. Well, if your honor please, we will object to that. First of all, it's hearsay. Secondly, what these other people saw or did not see, he can only guess. Frank Thomas wins the prize for witness consistency in this case. He never changed a detail between his first statement five days after the fact to his trial testimony six months later. He remembered waiting outside, seeing his watch around 3.15, making the comment about the freezer guys finally arriving, and their being at his home about 30 minutes. Sergeant Bird clearly tries to get Thomas to say that Clifton could have learned about the arrival comment from Pettyjohn, but Thomas is insistent. Pettyjohn came to the interview already knowing it and asked Thomas if he remembered saying it. Who else could have told Pettyjohn if not Clifton? As you've heard, D.A. Powell made a huge point at trial by getting Oscar to admit that as far as he knew, nobody had seen him on Garden Street during the freezer loading between 3.15 and 3.45 that day. As you'll hear in Episode 2, Oscar didn't know he was seen, but Powell, Donahue, and Petty John most certainly did. <laughs> 